You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. Today's teaching is lesson number one from Gentle and Lowly, covering chapters one and two. Good evening, ladies. It's good to see you all here. We've been, Bev and I have been waiting and praying for you for a really long time. Um, So it's really awesome to see you all here and present um, with your books and your beautiful workbooks. So I'm super excited to dive in. Um, I wanted to introduce myself a little bit. So I know some of you, there's a lot of you that I don't know. Um, So my name is Pam Culp. Um, I've been coming to LAFC since 2014. Um, So a while now, I'm married. Um, I have three kids, five, three, and one. So you can just pray for me all the time, it's fine. Um, I also am a high school French teacher um, and I'm really excited to be with you all. Um, So I'm gonna apologize right off the bat for two things. I'm gonna apologize to Lindsay if I project too much because I'm used to having to shout over like 20 teenagers. Um, So I will try not to do that. And I'm also gonna apologize if I talk too fast because I talk fast in general. Um, And when I get excited, I talk really, really fast. So I will try to slow it down for you all. Um, So we jumped right in to these first two chapters looking at the heart of Christ. Um, And there was a lot covered in just these first few pages, right? You were introduced to some Greek, you read a lot about bowels, probably more than you were planning on. Um, I read it again this week and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that he did that much this early on. Um, We'll talk more about bowels later in the semester, so just you wait. Um, And you also learned some essential truths about Jesus, right? So we had you think about your own answer to who Christ is in your homework. Um, And if you didn't get a chance to answer that question, um, I really hope you get to, I want you to at some point. Um, We're gonna give you another chance at, um, after I'm done talking, to do that with your tables. Um, Because I want you to get an idea in your head now of who you believe Jesus to be. Because as we go through the semester, my hope and prayer is that um, some of that will change. Some of the misconceptions that you have um, will be corrected and that by the end of this semester, you'll have expanded and sharpened the picture of who Christ is um, that you have and that you'll have a true and more accurate view of who he is um, than you did coming into this study. And it would be awesome to be able to see that difference in you and your definition from the beginning of the semester to the end. Um, So please take time to think about that question about who Christ is. So our theme verse for the book and the semester states that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And Ortland spent time expanding on everything that that means in these first two chapters um, and in the video that you just watched. Um, And as I was reading, I came up with my own list of attributes that I felt summarized what Ortland spends the pages explaining. He also has his own list on page 21, which is similar to mine, but I have a few things that he doesn't. Um, So this is my list. Jesus is accessible, understanding, open-armed, tender, and welcoming to those who come to him. So I'm gonna read that again. Jesus is accessible, understanding, open-armed, tender, and welcoming. This is not something that we have to infer, it's blatantly written all over scripture. Right, it's what he speaks about himself, it's what his actions prove about him. And why is this so important, right? Why does it matter? It's exactly like Ortland said at the end of chapter two. We know that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning that what Jesus said he was and what his actions proved he was 
um, then when he was on the earth is who he still is to us who are in him today. So if you are in Christ, to you, Jesus is and will always be accessible, understanding, open arms, tender, and welcoming. Sit in the beauty of that for a minute, ladies. So as I read these chapters again this week for probably at least the third time, um, I was amazed again at all the wonderful attributes of our Savior, right? So I could talk all night, pointing them all out to you. As I was reading, I'm like, oh, maybe I should talk about this. Oh, I should talk about this. I should talk about this, right? I could talk for hours, um, but I will save you my rambling. And I'm going to focus on two specific things, um, two specific aspects of Jesus' actions and characters that were discussed that I felt are important and I want to point out and dig into a little bit deeper. Um, so if you were with us, we learned last semester in the spring in Exodus that we are not to make false idols of God, right? Second commandment. Well, Jen Wilkin puts it in her book, 10 Words to Live By, that to obey the second word or the second commandment is to turn from worshiping lesser versions of God and to worship God in spirit and in truth. So we need to make sure we're getting an accurate picture of who Jesus is so that we are not worshiping a lesser version of him, but that we can worship him rightly. So at the beginning of chapter two, Ortland points out several passages in the gospel that show Jesus having compassion on sinners. And I want to expand a little bit on that. But first of all, I want you to think about a time when you had to swing by the grocery store for just one thing. Okay, so maybe you're like me, you're horrible planning ahead for dinner. I never decide until I'm driving home from work what we're having. Um, and you think of just the perfect meal that's gonna be so good. And then you remember that you're missing that one ingredient, right? You don't have it at home. So you get to the store and you're on a mission, right? You have that one thing that you're getting, you're laser focused on it. So you're rushing through the aisles, you're walking quickly so you can get home, have dinner on the table at a decent time. And then a coworker stops you and you meet them, right? They interrupt your mission <laughs> and they're chatty and they want to talk about work and everything going on in the world. And as all the time that she's talking, right, you're slowly turning your body away, trying to ease yourself out of that conversation, right? We've all done this, right? We've all been in those types of situations where we just want to get on to the next thing. Well, Orlin said, Christ is the photo negative of us, and thank goodness for that. So instead of subconsciously turning away from the people who came to him, Jesus specifically and intentionally changed direction to meet them. So we turn away from people, but Jesus turns toward people. We walk past people without seeing them, but Jesus gazes on us. We are easily distracted by other things, but Jesus is focused on his people. So take, for example, the Samaritan woman. Jesus was headed to Galilee. Most Jews at the time would have taken the long way around to avoid the area. There was a well-traveled alternate route that they always took so they didn't have to go through Samaria. But look at what it says in John 4, 3 through 4. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Why did he have to? There was another way around, but it was because he was gravitating towards that encounter with the woman at the well. He couldn't resist meeting her in her suffering, even though that suffering was of her own making and her own sin. Her past, her sin, it didn't matter to Jesus. He couldn't not go and meet with her and give her the words of life that he had. 
In Matthew 9, we see another example of Jesus changing direction. Jesus was on a mission that day. He was on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. But listen to what he does when he was laid, waylaid by a woman who had been bleeding for years and she only wanted to touch Jesus' garment, thinking it would bring her healing. So we're picking up at verse 19 of Matthew 9. It reads, And Jesus rose and followed him, Jairus, with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus turned. He changed direction. He veered off course. He was distracted from his mission. He saw her. So the Greek in this verse for see um, that is used here is often has a spiritual connotation. So to perceive spiritually, not just to look out with one's eyes. So he didn't just glance at her, he stopped, turned toward her and gazed upon her very soul. He made himself lowly so that he was accessible to her. And this, ladies, is who Jesus was then and who he is to us now. He made himself lowly so that we have access to him. He changes his entire direction to look on us and our sin and our suffering and truly sees us and invites us to come to him. He couldn't help but gravitate towards people then and he can't help but gravitate towards you now. As Orlin puts it, it's at the very core of who he is. So why, you might ask. If you, like so many of us, like myself, have sinned so grievously, you might wonder why Jesus would even bother. Why would he want to turn towards someone so stained? We're gonna dive deeper into the many reasons of that later chapter, in later chapters in the book, but I'm gonna touch on one reason here tonight um, that Orland mentions in chapter two. So Jesus came to earth to bring restoration, to restore the relationship between us and God that was lost in the fall. Right, but he also came to restore the part of us that was lost in the fall. And that part of us is our humanity. So what exactly is our humanity? Well, it's the part of us that is made in God's image, that was pure and untainted in Eden, and Jesus wants to give it back to us. That's his heart's desire, that's why he came. Right, we live entrenched in sin. Ortland describes it in a later chapter this way. He says, what water is to fish, so sin is to us, right? We are immune to what we are swimming in. We don't even notice it because we have never lived in a world without it. We don't know what it is to not be in the presence of sin. But sin and all it brings is unnatural, right? It's not the way that God created it to be. Um, I love how this is phrased in chapter two. Ortland paraphrases Jürgen Moltmann by saying that Jesus's miracles were actually not a disruption of the natural order, which is how we tend to think of them, right? Supernatural. Um, but they were actually a restoration of the natural order. So Jesus slowly went about restoring people's humanity and bringing them closer to who they were created by God to be. And he does the same thing for us today, right? He comes close and through the Holy Spirit and the process of sanctification, we are slowly, day by day, becoming, becoming restored to who we are truly meant to be. So ladies, I hope these chapters have given you a sweet glimpse of Christ's heart for you. I hope you're beginning to see the beauty of our Savior because that's what this study is all about. 
but I want to add one small challenge for you. And I'm gonna try to do this every week that I teach. Um, because, oh man, I lost my place. I was doing so good too, right? Um, because it would be easy to read through this whole book focusing solely on who Christ is and how he feels about you. And don't get me wrong, that is so important. I want you to have a true understanding of how Christ feels about you by the end of this book. But um, we were not created to passively inhale the gospel, right? It's not something that we just sit and consume and not do anything with. Our faith is proved through our actions. James 2.17 says, so also, by faith, oh, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And I don't want a dead faith. And I don't think you ladies want a dead faith either. So what is our work here as a result of having faith in our gentle and lowly savior? Ortland gives it to us on page 22 as he speaks of Christ's kindness. He says, only as we walk ever deeper into this tender kindness can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven. This is our work, ladies, to carry to those around us the sweet smell of heaven, the beautiful aroma which naturally exudes from us as a result of being in the presence of Christ. He turns towards you, he restores your humanity, so now go and do the same to those you cross paths with by sharing with them the beauty of the heart of Christ. I wanna pray with you, ladies. Lord, I thank you so much um, for who you are. Lord, we thank you for being gentle and lowly, for making yourself accessible to us. We thank you that you turn toward us, um, that you don't walk past us, Lord, without seeing. Um, God, I pray that you would just instill that truth on these ladies' hearts tonight. Um, as they discuss these things at their tables, I pray that you would be present in their conversation, um, that you would just move in their hearts to understand and comprehend who you are and how deeply your heart yearns for them. Um, God, I thank you for Christ, that he would condescend to come down here to us um, in our sinning and our suffering to meet us and to restore us to who it is that you created us to be. So Lord, we pray all of these things in your name, amen. So we're gonna transition into um, our table discussion time. So this is time for you um, to look at your homework questions if you want to, um, but each week Bev and I have also come up with um, questions to spark conversation. Um, so we would love for you to talk through those questions. If there's something though that's burning on your heart about your homework that you wanna discuss, you are more than welcome to do that too. Um, one quick logistical thing before I let you off to do that. Um, so for next week, it breaks my heart to say this, there's a couple typos in lesson two. <laughs> um, so on page 20 in your workbook, the first scripture um, should be trained, changed um, from Hebrews 13.2 to Hebrews 12.2. So we got the chapter wrong. So that first scripture is coming from Hebrews 12.2. And then on page 22 in your workbook, the second question, um, that page reference to help you out um, should read page 39 and 40, not 19 and 20.
So hopefully that's the last fix I have to give you because I worked really hard on this book. And it makes me sad that there's a typo, but it's okay. Um, so you guys have the rest of the time um, to work through these questions up on the screen with your table um, to discuss anything from your homework that you would like to. Um, and then at 8.30, you're free to go. All right. Thanks, ladies.